into it. Father, we thank you for tonight as we come before your holy word. We pray that your word will minister to us in simplicity, in clarity of speech, yet in the fullness and in the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, good evening, church. <clears throat> Glad to serve you tonight by teaching God's word. Uh, so far, we are making headway uh, in our series on the book of Romans. Over the past three weeks, we've dealt with God's mind concerning Israel. Israel is just as important as this world or as the rest of this world. Uh, God doesn't see the Jews better than the rest of the world or vice versa. What is God more interested in Israel? Is it, is it their physical welfare, political liberation, or anything for that matter? Nay, the most important agenda of God for Israel is that they will receive salvation. And we've looked at that throughout our three chapters over the past three weeks. And these three chapters destroy many of the concepts we have out there concerning Israel, which is contrary to the word of God. You know, views like Zionism and Judaism, as strong as the concepts are, they are not biblically enrooted Amen. So, um, we, um, chapters 9, 10, and 11 destroy many of those um, theories and, and puts holes into, into such theories. Amen. These three chapters also explain to us, <clears throat> in context, the doctrine of election. Some believe that God has chosen others at the expense of rejecting others. So, uh, in this world, we see that some are vessels of mercy and some are vessels of wrath as is being popularly um, propagated. Um, this is a strong theological concept among many Christian circles, um, you know, namely Reformation circles, mainstream Christian evangelicalism in, in America, and some Calvinists, they all believe in that strong concept. Even one of my favorite musicians is called Shailene. I, lo I love Shailene a lot. Shailene promotes the concept of lyrical theology. He's, he's a Christian hip-hop artist and, you know, he just raps about theology. Very, very pure and very organic. But I, I, in as much as I like listening to him and lis uh, 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 listening to him all the time, I really disagree when he, he comes to this stance on the doctrine of election. And all his albums, he always touches on the doctrine of election. And I must admit, Listening to him really made me search deeper to find out what is the biblical perspective, the true scriptural definition on the doctrine of election. Amen. And I thank God that reading um, Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11 in context uh, and, and letting scripture interpret itself, we have come to understand fully what the doctrine of election means. And we also realize again from scripture that God has appointed the world, not some, the whole world to be vessels of mercy. Hence the preaching of the gospel. If, if some are appointed vessels of wrath and some vessels of mercy, then preaching the gospel is like lottery. Do you understand? Every, the whole world, the inhabitants of the whole world have been elected to be vessels of mercy. And then we realize that in scripture again, the only people who are destined to be vessels of wrath, prepared for destruction, are for the end of the age. They are those whose hearts are unrepentant to the preaching of the gospel. 
like Pharaoh in the Old Testament, which Paul uh, cited a great example of. And one of Paul's caution, which is noteworthy, is Christians, we shouldn't walk in the way of Jews. And what does it mean? It simply means that now that we have been saved and now that we are under this new covenant of grace, we are enjoying better promises, we shouldn't look down on the Jews and have a superiority complex. Because under the law, that was what the Jews did. They looked down on all the rest of the nations, particularly the Gentiles, with a superiority complex, believing they were better than them. And when we read Romans chapter 11, we looked at that last week where Apostle Paul used uh, agriculture to, to drive his point home. He talked about roots, branches, and we went ahead to explain all this. Amen. So we, we should be sober-minded. We should be grateful we are saved. We should be humble. We shouldn't have a superiority complex over anybody we, are, we, we, we tend to be saved and, and we might know more of than but we should rather, with a heart of humility, intercede for them that they will come to the saving knowledge of Christ. God, that is God's heart. And Second Peter 3 verse 9 says, He's delaying his coming. Why? So that all will come to repentance and none shall perish. So that should also be our MO. Amen. So in the nutshell, we concluded from the three chapters that God wants everyone saved, including the nation of Israel. Amen. But the reason why Israel is given much prominence in the three chapters I explained in, in chapter 9 was Israel was the first nation to be given the commandments. Israel was the first nation who, that experienced dispensations. Israel was the first nation that the doctrine, the concepts, and the principles of sacrifice and, and how to worship God, all those things were handled first to Israel. And that is why they are of much Prominence. It's not that they are more important than the rest of the world. In, 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 the, in the eyes of God, he sees all of us equal, and we are all joint heirs of the grace of God. Amen. So now let's move on to our study tonight on chapter 12, and we'll be dealing with verses 1 and 2 and 9 to 21. So I'm going to start with the first two verses. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So now Paul is not just interested in the salvation of a soul which comes through the preaching of the gospel. That's why chapter 10 is written. Now, after Paul had um, talked and exhorted so much about Israel needs to be saved, Israel needs to receive Christ as their Lord and personal Savior and submit to the righteousness of God, chapter 10 is written to show us how do we submit to the righteousness of God. We do that by receiving the gospel. And the Bible lets us know that when we receive the gospel, the, the, the word of God is near our mouth and near our heart. Why? It's near our heart so that we will believe. The Bible says that when we believe, we, um, our righteousness is established. And then when we confess the word which has been preached to us, the Bible lets us, confession is made unto salvation. So chapter 10 shows us how we receive salvation. Now, Paul now is talking about You've received salvation, that's great. But that's first base. It's not just important 
just to celebrate salvation, which comes through the preaching of the word of God. He is also equally interested in the discipleship process of a soul. So that's what Paul is about to deal with here. And when we look at this word discipleship, it comes from the word disciple. And disciple means a follower, a learner, or a pupil. I found that interesting. It doesn't use the word student. It uses the word a pupil. I, I, I had most of my education in Ghana, at least junior from elementary to senior high. And I went to college in, in UK. And in Ghana, there is a huge difference between a pupil and a student. I, I, I don't see that too much difference uh, 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 because here, here in America, even when you're in junior high, they say you're a student. Every year, senior high, they call you, but, but there's a huge difference between who is a pupil and who is a student. But I find it interesting that when you look at the word disciple, it doesn't use the word student, it uses the word pupil. We are followers, we are learners. So, what is discipleship then? Discipleship is following Christ by modeling and fashioning our lives. And when we become saved, Christ has to be seen in our action, thoughts, and speech. Christ has to be formed in us. So now, great, you have been saved, but that's not enough. Now we come to the real work, and that's discipleship, whereby our action, thoughts, our speech, our whole lifestyle basically reflects Christ living in us. There are many Christians who have received Christ into their lives but are not showing forth the fruit of repentance in their lives. Uh, discipleship is a very slow and a painful process. And it's also hard work. Let's face it. So three things you have to know about discipleship. It's slow. Not everything slow is bad. Amen? <laughs> not everything slow is bad. Sometimes you can't bring that uh, microwave system into Christianity. You know, we want to microwave everything. Even now, people even microwave Thanksgiving meal. How can you microwave a Thanksgiving meal? Amen. I don't eat any Thanksgiving meal, which is microwave, by the way. But, but we like to microwave things. And discipleship is slow. Even though we live in a very jet-set, fast-paced world, discipleship is slow. It's, it's painful. Because sometimes you're like, I'm not seeing the fruit thereby. But continue. You know, discipleship also tests a lot of your conviction test your consistency and discipleship is hard work that's why many people don't go through the process of discipleship god is more interested in your growth than your comfortability let me tell you that he's not just inter interested in you in you being at a convenient space he's also interested in your growth and sometimes growth will come at the expense of your comfort it's hard work you have to be tirelessly consistent to be involved in this exercise. Now, when we read verse 1, it starts with, we should present our bodies. Christianity is not only inward. It starts from inward and it manifests outwardly. Receiving Christ also affects the presentation of our body. It does. So, there are some people who say that oh, God looks at the inward. He doesn't check the outward. It's, it's not true. When you are saved, it is inward and then it will reflect outwardly. 
I, I, I kind of don't like it when people say that the gospel is not behavior modification. I really get what they are trying to say, but I also think there is a half-truth there. I, I really understand, especially people who normally preach on grace and New Testament concepts like to say that a lot. I cannot get what they say, but sometimes I feel like it's really the wrong wording. Because when you come into Christ, you will really change. And changing has some modification to it. I, I understand me. So Christianity is not just inwardly. It is outward. Your body is involved. The Bible, the Bible says that present your bodies. You can see it. The presentation of your body also speaks to the extent at which you are really being discipled as a Christian. And your body is a living sacrifice. The Bible says that it should be holy and acceptable to God. Now, there is something you have to understand. In the Old Testament, animals were used for sacrifices. But in the New Testament, there is no mention of animal sacrifices. But the message and principle of sacrifice still remains. There are about five things in the New Testament considered sacrifice. And this is one of them. One is your body. Amen. I can mention all the five. None of them has to do with animals. One includes your body. The second one includes your praises. The Bible said that let us offer the sacrifice of praise by the fruits of our lips. Okay, so I've mentioned two out of five. So homework, you can go and look for the other three. Amen. So next week we'll have the homework. Who has been able to find the other three out of the five sacrifices? So there's one. What does it mean to have a body which is a living sacrifice? And if it's a living sacrifice, it has to be holy and acceptable to God. Let us read Romans chapter 6 verse 18 to 19. Romans chapter, Romans chapter 6 verse 18 to 19. And I'm going to read. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Another word for slave is servant. Amen. So that phrase in verse 1, where it talks about present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And by the way, that's our reasonable service. It's like our duty, something that has to be done. So what does it mean? From Romans chapter 6, verse 18 to 19, it means we will have to present the members of our body. And what are the members of our body? The parts of our body. Hands, eyes, nose, mouth, tongue, teeth, anything. All the parts of our body. It constitutes the members of our body. The Bible lets us know that we should present these members of our body as servants of righteousness unto holiness. And what does it mean? It means whatever we do with each part or member of our body has to glorify God. Amen.
One way to dishonor our body is when it is involving sexual immorality. And what is sexual immorality? Sexual immorality is any sexual activity outside the context of marriage. So if it's outside the context of marriage, it's sexual immorality. Amen. So the, the only thing that it's permissible is sexual interaction between married couples. That's permissible. But anything outside the context of marriage is sexual immorality. And the Bible lets us know that it is the only one one commits that is against the body. The Bible lets us know that every other sin, every other sin is outside the body. But sexual immorality, you know, King James is the word fornication. But it's a broad word. You know, fornication means unmarried people engaged in sexual activity. But when you actually look at the Greek word for that, it's a very big spill. It, it, it's the word pornia, where you get the word pornography. So it talks about everything. It's not just talking about illicit sexual activity. It, it goes to talk about masturbation and everything in there. I wouldn't even want to go further into that. So anything outside the context of marriage is considered sexual immorality. The Bible lets us know that when we commit sexual immorality, we actually sin against the body. So that's one of the ways by which you, you present your body as a dead sacrifice, which will be unholy and which will be unacceptable to God. Amen. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18 is my reference. Amen. So if you read that, you see that the Bible lets us know that every sin that you do is outside the body, but sexual immorality is against the body. Amen. So salvation, as I said, is first base. So the real work that is to be conformed to the image of Christ begins once we have received Christ as our Lord and personal Savior. So when we come to the altar at the response of an invitation given to us by the preacher, and when we lift up our hands, believe with our hearts, and confess with our mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, and we experience salvation, we are now on a long, continuous, unending road of discipleship. And why do I say that? It means that we are on the road where now we have to let our actions, our thoughts, our feelings, our speech, and our manner of life reflect Christ. That is the journey that we are now on. So, coming into salvation doesn't mean we have run through the tape. You've not run through the tape. You've not run through the tape. Unfortunately, for many believers, they think that once I've received salvation, I've run through the tape. No, you will run through the tape at the end of this age. But once we receive Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, we are on a long, unending, continuous road of discipleship. Even when you're a pastor, you, you still go through discipleship. Nobody grows above discipleship. Nobody. I remember one time, you know, Sunday school, like you break into classes, you teach. I remember one day I'm like, don't you go to Sunday school? He said, oh, we've grown past this. We've grown past this. That's what he said. We've grown past. This, this was when we were babies in the Lord. And when you're old, you don't do Sunday school. And that, you know, like, wow. Discipleship, you don't grow past discipleship. There is never an end point. It's no end point to discipleship. You will continuously be walking and treading on the path of discipleship until Jesus comes. It's a long and ending road. 
Amen. So now, the next verse will show us how to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. So let us read verse 2 again for emphasis, and then we go into the meat of our study. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Now, to gain clarity, let me read another translation. This translation is called Easy, E-A-S-Y. And let me read that one. Verse 2, in Easy Translation, this is what it says. Do not become like the people who belong to this world, but let God completely change the way you think so that you live differently. So discipleship is a place of yielding, allowing God to completely change the way you think, that you will live differently. Then you will understand what God wants you to do. You will know what is good. You will know what is completely right. So from these two versions, we can present our bodies as a sacrifice based on a mind change. Renewing. To renew the mind. It's a complete change of mind. Amen. Now, may I say this? Salvation is a threefold event or process, depending on how you want to word it. So, understand this. When we receive Christ, and all of us have received Christ, thank God for that, as our Lord and personal Savior, only one-third of us changed. One-third. So, three parts. Only one-third of us changed. Right? So, why do I say that? You need to understand the constitutional makeup of a man. Man is a spirit with a soul and lives in a body. Amen. So, man is a spirit. That, that is why you can't define man by horoscope. Command is a spirit. That's why you cannot necessarily define man by a temperament because man is a spirit. All right? Man is a spirit created in the image of God. Imago Deo. He was created in the image of God. That is man. The real man is created in the image of God. No horoscope sign can be ascribed to that, and no temperament can be ascribed to that. Are you understanding me? That the real nature of man is that. He bears the image of God. And if he bears the image of God, he ought to walk like a child of God. That's man. It's a spirit. Number two, man has a soul. Man is not a soul. He has a soul. And the, the soul is that part of you that thinks, that feels, and that decides. And it's where you also derive your personality from. So most times when they say horoscopes and, you know, uh, temperaments and stuff like that, they are rather referring to your soul, not you in particular. The soul that you have, right? And your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. Amen. And then man lives in a body. So you are not this. This is your shell. 
That's your physical shell. This, this is what houses the real you. The real you is when, when, when you breathe upon your hand, that breath, that's the real you. You are a spirit. This is not the real you. This is not the real you. Amen. The real you is yet to be unveiled. So man is a spirit with a soul and lives in a body. Now, when we receive Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, spirit, soul, and body, only one third of us changed. Spirit. Our spirits have been raised with Christ because it's new. It's been afforded the newness of Christ because of the Holy Spirit that lives in us that we can live a regenerate life. So when people are unbelievers, the spirit is dead. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. You were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. It, it's, it has no connection with God. It is dead as a result of sins and trespasses. But when we receive Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, this was raised up from the dead. And now it can respond and become alive and active to God. So the spirit is the only part of man that was touched during salvation. So when you receive the altar call of salvation, it's your spirit man that has been made alive. Number two, your soul was not touched. Your soul, which includes your mind, will, emotions, that wasn't touched. And your body was also not touched. Amen. So our spirit which was touched is called redemption. That's why we preach about redemption. We have been redeemed from our trespasses. We've been redeemed from sin. And we've been raised in newness of life with Christ by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. That is redemption. Now, the body. What happens to the body? That's why we have a time period called the end of this age. At the end of this age, the body will be redeemed. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the 58 verses there talks about it. We are going to have an event where the Bible says that this corruptible mortal flesh will drop. You see, so this body is corrupt. This body is mortal. Never forget that. The one that you put cream on and everything. It's a mortal flesh. It's a corrupt flesh. The Bible says it will drop. It will put on incorruptibility. It will put on immortality. So this body is going to be dealt with at the end of the age. That is called glorification. But in between those two events, what is renewing your mind? And how do you re and renewing your mind is touching your soulish realm. All right, And once the mind is renewed, it will affect your will. It will affect your emotions. That is called sanctification. And that's holiness. So holiness actually means living like God. That's it. That's why when you read the easy translation, it says that live differently. Not according to the standard of this world, but live differently. And you will live differently by knowing what is good in the word, what pleases God, and what is completely right. Amen. So, right now, in between receiving Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, and awaiting the glorification of our body, presently, this middle space or middle gap we find ourselves in, is continuously 
sanctifying ourselves. It's the process of sanctification. Learning to walk like God. And how do you walk like God? You walk like God by looking at Christ. Because Christ is the perfect, exact representation and image of God. So when we walk like Christ, we are walking like God. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says so. It says, Christ is the express image of the Father. So if you want to walk like God, see Christ. Look at how he behaved on this earth. How Christ behaved on this earth showed a picture of how God our Father truly is. Amen. So you will not behave like or act like a Christian if you don't consciously and consistently make time to read the Bible and apply the truths you read thereby. It is at this place that growth occurs. It's good to listen to preaching. Listen to preaching. It's good to come to church. Come to church. Expose yourself to the word of God. But all these things are supposed to be supplementary activities. They are supposed to complement what you do in your time of quietness and solitude with God. Amen. So, real growth will occur when one takes his or her time to read the Bible, apply the truths of the Bible, and surely and steadily, growth will begin to occur. You will not know what pleases God if you are not reading the Bible. How will you know what pleases God if you don't read the Bible? I've never read a Harry Potter book before. So if anybody tells me anything about Harry Potter, I'll easily believe the person. I never read a book before. But I've also read some books before. So now if you talk about a certain book, I'm like, okay, let's say, um, what's, that? what's this book? The Three Pigs, right? The Three Pigs. The Three Little Pigs. Now if you, if you tell her Three Little Pigs, I still remember that, but I can, I can tell you because I and puff and blow the breath. You know, I, at least I can remember. I have a sketchy and a grainy imagination, but at least I'll try and remember. Like, no, there's no crocodile in the story. I know there was a wolf and there are three pigs. That's it. So you are able to tell. What I'm trying to say is that how will you be able to know what is completely right, what is completely acceptable if you are not reading the Bible? So reading the Bible is a place where real transformation will take place. Psalm 119. So let's look at Psalm 119. Psalm 119. And I want us to focus on verse 9. And I'll read this in the New International Version. That's the NIV. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. One of the things that pleases God is purity. And for us to tread and walk on the path of purity, it comes by living, obeying, taking heed according to the word of God. So it's not just reading the word of God, it's reading the word of God and having the faith to apply what you have read. That is what will set you on the path of purity. That is what will set you on the path of holiness. And that's what will cause steady, consistent growth. Amen. So now, a transformed life in verses 9 to 21. But 
When you become a Christian by receiving Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, you are either conforming to this world or you are transforming to his image. It's just two things. So unfortunately, you will see two kinds of Christians today. We have the conformed one and a transformed one. And this explains maybe why some may have gone to church for 20 or 30 years, but they still curse, they still gossip, they practice things which are unworthy of a Christian, can't forgive, won't forgive, they are very quarrelsome, they fight, they are engaged in unquestionable acts, might be dominated by sin, but still go to church every Sunday. They give tithes, they give offerings, and might even work in the church. They might be ushers, they might help the pastor do one or two things. They might be serious workers in the church. But why? Because the person is conformed to this world. That explains that. So sometimes it will be a phenomenon. Wow, but I thought you go to church. Yeah, it's true I go to church. But it's not enough for me to bear the fruits of Christ and walk like Christ. I have to consciously make an effort to renew my mind by the word of God. And when I renew my mind by the word of God, I will now begin to give birth to the fruits of a, re a transformed lifestyle. So just coming to church, great. But if you don't make any effort to read the Bible, apply the Bible, your life will just be as if you were never even born again. But you might be born again. It's not, it's no question. You may have received Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. Yes, you said the sinner's prayer, all right. But the proof of the pudding is in the eating. You will have to consciously make time to read the Bible. And apply the truth of the Bible. That's the only way you will change. It's called renewing the mind. You are changing how you think. Because when you receive Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, before you came to Christ, they are still there. And it's going to take a, a, a mind change of consistently, consciously reading the word of God to really give birth to the fruits of transformation. Amen. So now, let's read our verses. I'm going on. Verse 9. To verse 21. Let abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Verse 13. Distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality bless those who persecute you and bless do not curse rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep be of the same mind toward one another do not set your mind on high things but associate with the humble do not be wise in your own opinion repay no one evil for evil have a regard for good things in the sight of all men if it is possible as much as depends on you Live peaceably with all men. 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. Verse 20. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. 
If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. There are certain commands the apostle gives to his audience that can only be possible to transformed vessels or yielded vessels. They cannot be done out of a natural inclination or human will. So you can't do this just because you just received Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. No, you can't do this because you chanced upon this and read it. It's not going to take human effort. It's not going to take human will. There is no flesh that can let you do this. This is as a result of verses 1 and 2. The Bible said that we should be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And when our minds are renewed, and when we are able to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, this will flow out of our spirits automatically. It will just emanate out of us very easily. Amen. So all these commands are done because one has taken time to renew his mind and has become a transformed vessel. So from our verses we just read uh, tonight, there are about 13 qualities that mark out a transformed or a yielded vessel. As we go through this list, believe God by grace that if you lack in any of these, you will bear forth fruit by the help of the Holy Spirit. Don't feel condemned if any of these things are lacking. Just rely on the grace of God. Because it really takes grace. You have to pluck into grace to be able to live like Christ. And let me tell you, living like Christ is a process. Just keep on reading the Bible and applying the truths. That's all. Growth is not forced. Christian maturity, Christian growth is not forced. You can't force growth. You just have to let it happen at its pace. It is organic and it is also slow. That's why I say. So you, you just have to keep on being consistent and being steady. And when you don't give up, with time you will begin to see these fruits automatically emanate. Amen. So let's look at the list. There are 13 of them. Number one, unfeigned love. I like the King James Version. You know, King James Version uses the word unfeigned love. It means love without hypocrisy. That's sincere love. You can't do that if you don't have a renewed mind. I think King James uses the word, let there be love without dissimulation. So, love without hypocrisy. Your love is real. You say what you mean, you mean what you say. Amen. Number two, your moral values are defined. It says, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. It's talking about your moral values here. Your moral values are defined. May I say this? Morality can be relative. It can be relative. By the Constitution of America. By the written word of God. You understand? And sometimes when you look at the Constitution of a country, I'm living in America, America, and what the Bible truly says, they may even be at loggerheads. Which one are you going to choose? Which one is greater? I'll choose the Bible. So morality can be relative. You may be moral based on the constitution you are following. So your moral values are truly defined here. You abhor what is truly evil and you cling to what is really good. Amen. 
Number three, you are kind. The Bible says, be kindly affectionate towards one another. It's not natural to be kind. It's not natural to treat someone you don't know at all from Adam with brotherly love. It's not natural. You have to be a transformed or a yielded vessel through the avenue of renewing your mind to be able to treat people with kindness and love them with a brotherly love. As the Bible says. Number four, you give honor. Today we live in a society where honor is not given. You give honor. You give, you give honor to God-appointed authorities. You give honor to people who are beneath or below you. See, what you are talking about, and I don't just think about authority figures. People who are also beneath you also deserve honor. And you can't give honor if you are not transformed. You struggle. Honor is a thing of the spirit. And anybody who struggles with honor just to honor people, uh, you might not really have a renewed mind. You are not being transformed. You give honor. You give preference to people. Amen. Number five, enthusiasm in serving God. Verse 11. Enthusiasm in serving God. I like that. It says, not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. You're enthusiastic. We don't have to make any announcement. You're enthusiastic. People who are truly transformed, you will never have to tell them to come to church. I promise you that. that if we ever have to text you, call you, come to church, it's a sure sign you might be a conformed vessel. Because people who are truly transformed by the agency of renewing their mind with the word of God, they are enthusiastic. They don't lack in diligence. They are they serve the Lord. They are passionate. They are passionate. So sometimes, people who are very passionate, it's an indication they might be transformed. Amen. Number six, hopeful. Verse 12. It says, rejoicing in hope. They are hopeful. You can never bring them down. They may have experienced Hurricane Ida and may have lost things, but they will never lose the joy of their salvation because they are hopeful. They are the people who will always see light at the end of a dark tunnel. I pray that may we have hope. What is hope? Hope is the confidence and positive expectation of something good. That's hope. So be positive, be expectant of something good. You have hope. And hope is a weapon. Amen. They rejoice in hope. Now, in verse 12 again, we see that they are prayerful. Transformed or yielded vessels are prayerful. They pray. And the other thing we see in verse 12 is that they are patient or consistent. It's very hard to be consistent. It, it takes the enablement and the empowerment of the Spirit to be consistent. To do what God has called you to do over a period of time without giving up consistency. And consistency, you don't rely on things. You don't look at outside indicators. You know, what? Very consistent. What? 
Whether they are members, you have to preach. Whether rain or shine, you have to preach. Whether you have personal problems, you have to preach. Consistency is a mark of one who has been transformed. Amen. Number nine, charity and hospitality. We see it in verse 13. The Bible says that distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. So a transformed vessel is charitable and is hospitable. Amen. Number 10, you don't believe in tit for tat. And you see that in verses 14, 17, and 19 to 21. You don't believe in tit for tat. Let, let it go. You don't overcome evil with evil. Rather with good. You don't believe in vengeance. You rather give way for wrath, the wrath of God, for vengeance is of the Lord. Don't believe in tit for tat. Don't, don't believe in tit for tat. Amen. Don't believe in tit for tat. If someone has paid you evil, don't repay the person evil for evil. And you see, this is not natural. It's not natural. It takes one who has painfully made time and allow himself to go through the process of transformation by renewing his or her mind with the word of God to be able to think like this. Don't believe in it for that. It's okay. Let it go. It's not, it's not worth fighting. Amen. Number 11. Empathy. Verse 15. You empathize with people. The Bible lets us know that you rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Another word for empathy here, let me use the word emotional intelligence. When you are transformed, you are emotionally intelligent. You might not even need to read a book on emotional intelligence per se to be emotionally intelligent. But you can be emotionally intelligent because you have consistently allowed yourself to be renewed by the word of God which shows in your transformation. You, you have empathy. You empathize with those who are rejoicing and you, 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 you empathize with those who are weeping by weeping with them. Jesus had empathy. And we will do that in John chapter 11. He cried at someone's funeral. He cried at someone's death. Jesus had empathy. And Christians, I think we should have empathy. Amen. We shouldn't be tone deaf. No, there are some people, they crack certain jokes at wrong times. And, you know, uh, we shouldn't be tone deaf. We should empathize. It's a, it's a fruit of transformation. Verse 16, the Bible says, sober-minded. And what does it mean to be sober-minded? It says, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your, minds on, on, your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. All this speaks to me about sobriety of mind. You are sober-minded. Amen. And then number 13, they stand for peace. Verse 18. The Bible says, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. They stand for peace. Peace is their ammo. If you are a believer, strive for peace. It's not worth it fighting. It's not worth it. It's not worth it war. When I received Christ my Lord and Pastor, I used to like fighting a lot. I tell you, I fight a lot, quarrel a lot. I don't lose arguments. I don't lose, I'll, I'll never lose an argument. And I thank God I changed before I got married. 
Otherwise, maybe, maybe I wouldn't even have a strong or a happy marriage. Amen. Allow God to work on all the weak parts, dark parts of you, so that truly you can be like Christ. Even sometimes, I, the way I respond to things, I'm, even shocked, I'm, I'm shocked at myself. I'm even shocked at myself. Like, wow. Why did I, why did I react like this? Because I know back then, I wouldn't have responded like this. Believe in peace. Peace is always better. Amen. I like to end here. So today, or tonight, we've learned about how we can truly live a transformed life. It comes through the avenue of renewing your mind by the word of God. And when you renew your mind by the word of God, certain commands that Apostle Paul has enlisted in verses 9 to 21 will be forthcoming out of our spirits because we've allowed ourselves to go through the process of discipleship. Amen. I'm done for tonight. Any questions or contributions are welcome. God bless you. So next week, we are going to be focusing on verses 3 to 8. And we are going to learn some very neat things there. Amen. Thank you, sir. What did you take home? What did you learn? Or if you have any question, the floor is open. We have three minutes on the clock, so... Let's make it snappy. I think it's really important to renew your mind. Um, that's what I took away from it. So, when you are a believer and when you lead someone to Christ, one of the first investments you should do for them is buy them a Bible. I do that all the time. I just buy you a Bible. Amen. And then I also encourage you to download it on your phone too as well. Uh, or your iPad or any electronic device. That also help. But buy them a Bible. Because that is the first step transformation. You open it. You open it. You read it. Amen. Good one. Alright, since there is no question or contribution, I want us to just spend this, the, the, the two minutes left to just pray. Okay? I want us to pray that may we commit ourselves to a process of discipleship. I don't know at which stage in your discipleship journey you are with God, but we are praying that we want to commit ourselves to reading the Word of God. We want to commit ourselves to obeying and applying the Word of God. 
We want to commit our lives to that Lord. Wherever we fall short, wherever we are weak, strengthen and enable us that we will truly live a life worthy of acceptation and pleasing in your sight. Let's begin to pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. We give you praise for your word. We've heard your word, O oh Lord. We humble ourselves, Lord, in meekness, and we receive the word that you have given to us, the implanted and grafted word of God, Lord. We receive it tonight, O oh Lord. We pray that may we be doers of your word. May we walk according to your word, O oh Lord. May the fruits of repentance and transformation be really seen in our lives, O oh Lord. At the end of it, when all is said and done, may we act like you. May we think like you. May we speak like you. May our whole manner of life be a worthy sacrifice. May it be holy. May it be acceptable in your sight. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise. Kado Samantha Lidabel Shikadanda Midazuka the libro kando ni madozi attacking the ribo shabanda libada sukayato lide kebro mendozi breku antoni madosha yanda labro kiadeso ikado ribako talide koza banka talide rikabo sikanda ribakando we commit ourselves to the process of sanctification O oh lord father at the end of each and every waking day lord may we become more and more like you may we become more and more like you O oh lord May, we, may the principles that you have outlined and commanded us in the Bible, may it flow from the overflow of our relationship with you because we've committed ourselves to a lifestyle of discipleship. Thank you for answer prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you for tonight's teaching. We thank you that may we run with the words of this commandment as you enlarge our hearts. Thank you for what you've done. We thank you that we will grow in the image of you. We will grow in the likeness of you. May we become more and more like you, O oh Lord. That's our prayer. Thank you that as we've humbled ourselves before you tonight by praying, all our weaknesses are being strengthened, are taken away. We are being empowered by the Holy Spirit to truly live a life of regeneration. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. God bless you guys. God bless. Amen.